Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, today, I want to move back into the realm of philosophy, and we're going to skip ahead a little bit. Um, normally, the next thing that would be gone into if you were studying uh, Western philosophy chronologically would to be would be to go into people like St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Augustine. But I'm going to kind of skip up a little bit beyond that. I don't want to skip them forever, skip them completely. We will come back to them. Um, but their philosophies are much more uh, relevant to theology. It's much more relevant to religious philosophy, uh, which we'll, again, we'll, we'll get back to and will come into play. Uh, I'm going to move a little bit beyond them, though, to uh, Francis Bacon. Uh, Francis Bacon is often considered the father of modern science, even though the scientific method he came up with is not 100% the method we use today. In fact, it's quite a bit different what we use today than what he used. Um, but he was someone who sort of pushed thinking in that direction. Now, I also want to make a side note about Descartes. Descartes is also usually who you would go to in this time period. Uh, Descartes and Francis Bacon were roughly in the same time period. And Descartes is extremely influential for modern philosophy. So we are going to do Descartes on our next podcast on philosophy. We're not going to skip Descartes. Um, he's someone you really have to understand before you move into the philosophers that come after him, because like Plato and Aristotle, um, a lot of the people that come after Descartes are either uh, adding to his work or attacking uh, what he said. So he's not someone you can skip, but I do want to kind of take a sidetrack today and do Sir Francis Bacon. Now, Sir Francis Bacon comes in sort of in the Renaissance period uh, as we're, you know, moving past, uh, the we've moved past the Middle Ages, we're into the Renaissance period. Um, but a lot of philosophy is still dominated uh, and and. Uh, epistemology is still dominated by Aristotle. Uh, Aristotle is very much the dominant uh, source when you look at anything about the natural world. And Bacon, one of the things he wants to do is kind of break with the idea of authority, um, break with, you know, basing all of what we know on ancient uh, authorities, antiquity, uh, and the ways that they did things. And one of the ways that he shifts direction from Aristotle is that um, Bacon is very much someone who looks at the world, what's out there. He's an empiricist. He doesn't base what he's doing off of the world of ideas. He bases it off of observations of the natural world. And he wants to do this because he's seen some of the inventions uh, and some of the advances that have come along, like the printing press, like gunpowder, like paper, other things like this, and he sees how they're a benefit to mankind, and he realizes that you can make many more benefits if you make science much more systematic and much more grounded in uh, research, much more grounded in looking at the way things work and trying to figure out solutions. So his idea was to make uh, science, something that is is more of a science and more of a practical uh, method. <clears throat> now, this is um, one of the reasons that he's often been 
labeled sometimes in his lifetime as an atheist and sometimes afterwards as an atheist, uh, Bacon was definitely not an atheist. He didn't see science as something that was replacing religion. He was very much a religious person. Uh, in his mind, science uh, was to deal with practical applications to make human life better. His ideas about science was that we were going to study uh, and get a little bit of more of an understanding the way, you know, Adam and Eve would have had before the fall. So his uh, interest in science is in no means meant to overthrow religion. It, it's very much me meant to be something that is practical, something that is useful. Well, one of the ways he breaks from Aristotle is that from the time of Aristotle, most logic has been deductive logic, where you have the, uh, you know, the syllogisms like we talked a little bit about when we talked about Aristotle, where you move from general principles to uh, make specific conclusions. So you're using general principles that are accepted as true, and then you're making specific uh, observations about the world. Uh, the example that I've given and have, has been given many times is all men are mortal, Socrates is a man, therefore Socrates is mortal. This is moving from the general proposition, all men are mortal, um, to a specific instance, Socrates is a man. You know, Now we're talking about a specific man, and then we're making a specific claim about Socrates. And one of the things about deductive reasoning is that deductive reasoning, if your premises are true and the structure of your argument is correct, your conclusion has to follow. If you come up with a conclusion that is false, that doesn't follow, then there was something wrong with either one of your premises being true or with the way you structured the argument. <clears throat> Bacon, wanting to move more from empiricism, wants to look at the world as it is and then come up with general principles based on that, which can be applied. So Bacon's method of reasoning is called inductive logic. And inductive logic is something that moves in the opposite direction. You go from specific observations about the world and you piece together as many of them as you can, and then you try to come up with some kind of general principle. So in inductive logic, you do not have certainty. Uh, this is the problem with inductive logic, and this is not something he was uh, going for anyways. He wasn't trying for certainty. He was trying for the best answer. And this is what sort of puts science on the path of being... Uh, progressing on what comes before because you have all of the observations you put together you come up with a conclusion and then more people add observations and either confirm that conclusion or alter that conclusion when more evidence becomes available so while inductive doesn't give you the certainty it gives you a method of coming up with something that is has a ever-increasing probability of being true and this is what makes it much more practical. You know, you don't have to come up with the absolute laws for uh, a mechanical device to get that mechanical device to be able to work. You work out the steps inductively of how you get that to work, how you get that process to work. So this is one of the ways that he is very much considered one of the fathers of 
modern science because he does break with that tradition of Aristotle and of the scholastic philosophers, the people who were uh, interested in grounding all of our knowledge either on the wisdom of the ancient Greeks and the Romans or the wisdom of the scriptures. So this is taking a very different approach. But again, he didn't do this in order to be anti-religion, anti-God. He saw this as, you know, trying to understand the world that God created better uh, and understand it better so that we can, you know, sort of make it more uh, useful for humans. We can be a wiser uh, shepherd over that world. Okay. I want to go into what he considers to be the four idols that keep people away from knowledge. And these I want to go into because this is something that, while it's important at the time, it seemed to become something that much more, it, it almost sounds much more like something you would expect in 20th and 21st century philosophy. Because these idols uh, sound shockingly modern. And this is Bacon coming up with this, you know, in the 1500s, 1600s. Um, and he lists four idols of the mind. The first idol of the mind is called idols of the tribe. Now, these idols of the tribe are things that keep us from perceiving things the way they are because they're things that have to do with human nature. Um, he didn't see us as perceiving everything exactly the way it was. Uh, he saw humans perceiving the world as being something very much we're perceiving through um, uh, apparatus, our eyes, our ears, our other senses, as, as being very distorted. And so we're not getting a clear picture. And so one of these idols is that he talks about you have to kind of work to overcome is to try to increase things beyond our senses and realize that our senses can be fooled. And this is very much something you see in a lot of psychology and a lot of philosophy in the 20th century where people are talking about the world is not as it is to our senses, it just appears that way to us. The world appears the way it is because that's how we perceive the world. That's the way our eyes see it. That's the way our ears hear it. It's the way our fingers can feel it when we touch it. So the idols of the tribe are the limitations that we have because of being human, because of our human perceptions. Now, uh, Bacon would have probably attributed that to Adam and Eve in the fall, uh, where we sort of lost that perfect connection with the world, and what we're left with is this distorted one. But it's very much a... Um, idea that really takes off in the 20th century. You know, up to Bacon, uh, there was sort of the saying that man is the measure of all things. And Bacon takes issue of that and says, no, we're just the measure of it from our perspective. Uh, we don't know it all. We don't see it exactly the way it is. And so we have to do careful observation and do careful analysis in order to try to overcome that idol. And the reason he calls them idols is also religious reference, sort of a reference to the idols that led people away from, you know, worshiping the true God, uh, idolatry. These are things that he believes lead us away from seeing the world the way it really is. The next idol that he talks about, the second one, is called Idols of the Cave. Uh, 
Now this is, these are um, problems with the individual man. Um, the first one has to do with humans in general and our, you know, shared eyes, ears, things like that, the way we perceive as human beings. The second one, Idols of the Cave, has, has to do with the individual. Um, how does your preferences, your prejudices, um, you know, how does your falling under admiration for people you like affect the way you perceive the world? You know, we all bend reality through our own frame of reference. And again, this is something that sounds very 20th, 21st century. You know, everything we talk about, we talk about from a biased perspective. You know, if you're raised in Western culture, when you go out and view the world, you're going to view the world from a Western perspective. If you're raised in, you know, China, uh, you're going to... Um, you're going to see the world through a Chinese perspective. If you're raised in Africa, you're going to see the world through an African perspective. If you're from the Middle East, you're going to see it from a Middle Eastern. Um, and so all of these different uh, perspectives uh, get clouded by our personal experiences. And even within a culture, you know, this is why it's Idols of the Cave, it gets changed from person to person because no two people have had the exact same experiences you know you may be raised in the same household uh, but you're still going to experience things differently you know you'll have siblings that one of them will like something and the other one will hate the same thing um, this is what idols of the cave are so these are our personal um, sort of blindnesses that keep us from seeing things the way they are Idols of the Marketplace is the third one, and this one is really, to me, uh, shockingly modern because you kind of get into almost 20th and 21st century linguistic theory when you're talking about this. Um, Idols of the Marketplace basically deals with language and the fact that language is very imprecise. And because of the fact that we're limited to using language to discuss things, it clouds the way we see. It keeps us from being able to see and perceive clearly because we're seeing things through the lens of language. Now, this is something that, you know, Frederick Nietzsche talks about. This is something that psych psychology talks about in the Saphir Warp, Warp hypothesis. Uh, over and over again, you see these different um, theories that, you know, the way we shape, the way we see the world, the way we divide the world is very much determined by the language we use. It's very much limited by the language we use. And so this idea coming way back then out of Francis Bacon uh, is really something that the rest of philosophy doesn't really pick up on that much until you get into linguistics and into psychology in the 20th, 21st century, uh, late 19th century as well. Now the fourth idol that he talks about are the idols of the theater. And the idols of the theater are basically your philosophical, your religious, your cultural foundations, uh, the philosophies that you live under. These shape our perception. Uh, and all of us have philosophies. This is one of the things that I try to bring out in this series, in this podcast, is the fact that whether you know it or not, your entire life is shaped by philosophy by your religious philosophy, your political philosophy, your social philosophy, 
you know, your ethical philosophy, your economic philosophy, these all shape who you are. They all shape how you perceive the world. And so these he actually talked about are the easiest, according to him, to overcome. And in a lot of ways, though, these can actually be some of the most difficult ones to overcome, especially if these are philosophies that are very much um, ingrained into you from, uh, you know, everyone around you. If this is the philosophy your culture has accepted. Um, it's, it's very difficult sometimes to see beyond that because you're often limited to only seeing things from that uh, perspective. Now, this... These four idols um, he talks about are things that can be overcome with his scientific method, with his use of induction, with having multiple people working on it. This is another thing he, he kind of brings in is that there has to be multiple people doing this. Uh, it has to be something that is looked at from different perspectives. Uh, as, as we go through philosophy and talk about the different philosophers, uh, hopefully it will start to become clearer that uh, philosophy is really at the, at the heart of every single discipline. You know, sciences are all based on philosophies. They're all originally developed by philosophers. You know, Bacon is considered a naturalistic philosopher, uh, which is the basis of natural science. Uh, other philosophers, you know, uh, were looking at uh, you know, epistemology, how we know the world. That becomes philosophy of the mind. We have philosophers that are um, looking at theology, that are looking at political philosophy. And so it really does become the basis of everything. And as we're going through these lectures, I hope it's kind of helping you to uh, step back and look at a little bit at things, because this is what um, a lot of these philosophers were aiming for. They were looking at the world and saying, how can we create better systems that work better for us? And Bacon, in particular, straightforward says this. You know, he's looking to make a philosophy of uh, a naturalistic philosophy that improves uh, the lives of humans, that makes the lives of people better um, by really looking at the world and being able to understand and use the laws of nature to our advantage. Okay, I'm going to break off for there, uh, right there for now. Uh, next time we will be talking about uh, literature, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the neoclassical period. Uh, the neoclassical period, most people, the big person you study is Alexander Pope. Uh, who's the British uh, neoclassical, the biggest figure in that period. Uh, but I also want to bring in some of the uh, French writers, and I want to talk about a couple of French writers out of that time period as well. So that will be the um, uh, podcast for next time. It will be on the neoclassical uh, period in uh, literature. Um, and then the podcast after that, I am going to come back and do Descartes because, as I said before, Descartes is very important to understanding all of the philosophers that come after him. Okay, I hope all of you are doing well, and I hope all of you are staying safe. Have a good night.